According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we've spent a couple of weeks looking at the ifs of verse 1, and I want to uh, move past that this morning and start looking at the content of those ifs that center on encouragement, consolation, fellowship, and then the fourth one is a hyphenated, a combined affection and compassion, all right? So there's, uh, it's uh, similar to uh, the text in Ephesians where we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, where Paul gives a hyphenated gift on the fourth one. Something very similar happens here because there's any, 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 any. There's only four any's, uh, but then that fourth any has the uh, affection and compassion, and that's what we've got to deal with. And since they're all true, since there is, all four of these, there are, and these all exist, then there's an application. And Paul's application is complete my joy, make my joy complete. And then he outlines how to do that with uh, four more descriptions. And so we get into verse two uh, by the time we put that all together. Before we start this morning, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions, also asking for him to supply a speaking voice, as I'm a little sore throat this morning, but God's in charge of that too. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your truth, thankful for the blessings that we have to assemble together, and Father, thankful for the year that is now closing, 2017, looking forward to 2018, Father, and uh, looking forward to what you have for us, Uh, the additional testing, the additional challenges, the additional growth, all of which for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we don't begrudge them, uh, we're thankful for them. And I thank you for Philippians, uh, this book that's teaching us how to Um, rejoice in these things. And so, Father, um, take hold of our message this morning. Open the eyes of our understanding. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, I don't know about you guys, but we are ready. (laughs) 2017 can go away and not come back. My wife lost an uncle, an aunt, parents, uh, father, cousin. You're right, we're not on there. How about now? There we go. All right. It's cold and grumpy. You don't want to... I understand. (laughs) All right. In any event, yeah, we're ready for 2017 to be done and ready for 2018. And this is one of the passages that's going to be immensely powerful, immensely powerful for taking testing and putting it into context. Because with that testing, is, is there any comfort that goes with that? Yes. Is there any consolation that goes with that? Yes. Okay. All of these things are true. And they would never be, God would not assign the test that he's assigning if he did not also mix in these elements. We, we know that he mixes in the, the ekbasis, the victorious conclusion, but he also blends in and mixes in. It's like a, a, a special recipe. <laughs> he blends in the comfort and the consolation and the encouragement and these things that we need, the fellowship all the items that are mentioned here in verse 1. All right? I think uh, I've given this a couple of times. This will be maybe the last time I give this to you, uh, the outline of what we're going to handle. Uh, the, the chapter is basically in, divided in half. The first half has three exhortations. The second half has some travel arrangements. And uh, so the three exhortations that are in the first half of the chapter include make my joy complete from verses 1 and 2. Initially, I had outlined this uh, as one through four and had taken the material in verses three and four and connected them with the uh, make my joy complete imperative of verse two. Uh, after looking at it closer and diagramming the sentences better, I realized, wait a minute, verses three and four actually are preparatory for the command that comes in verse five. And so uh, I decided then to take three through 11 as a unit instead of uh, 5 through 11. So that's why you might have written down a different outline than you see here. Uh, The slide has been adjusted, and so this is the one we're going to go with moving forward, taking verses 1 and 2 as a a segment. So make my joy complete. 
the conclusion of this leads right into the second one. So when we talk about be, uh, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, that closes the, uh, the make my joy complete context, but it does immediately then flow into the second exhortation. And the second exhortation then is where verse 3 begins, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. And that's a preparation for verse 5, where we're told to think this way, to have this attitude. And so we've got some attitude lessons coming up by the time we get to our second exhortation here, verses 3 through 11, have this attitude. It's the attitude Christ had, so why is your attitude different? You should have the attitude that Christ had who uh, was re- not uh, looking after his own interests, but looking for the interests of others, who was not operating from selfishness or empty conceit, <laughs> right? Because selfishness and empty conceit would not have gone to the cross. But Jesus did go to the cross, and that's, uh, that's for our eternal blessing. And then the third exhortation is work out your salvation, verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we want to have a great handle on what this is about uh, because some people abuse this and they, you know, you can twist it and, and try to read something into it about working for your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. But now that you are saved by grace through faith, how are you going to work that out? How are you going to express that? What's the uh, follow-up going to be, the application? And so we'll deal with that because it has to uh, do with uh, watching God do the work. (laughs) Verse 13, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you, all right? And uh, so if you're going to work out your salvation, that means you've got to let God do it. You've got to uh, be surrendered and, and volitionally on board as a fellow worker with what God himself is doing. So those are the three exhortations. Then the second half of the chapter are the travel arrangements. And uh, don't get me wrong, we're not going to just blow through it as if there's no doctrine there. There's a tremendous amount of doctrine there in these travel arrangements as it centers on Timothy and as it centers on the, uh, the blessings that Paul has to be able to send Timothy. Nobody else was prepared the way Timothy was prepared to be able to go and, and do these things. And then, uh, of course, Epaphroditus, the, uh, the, there's doctrinal content there as well. So there you go. That's our outline for the chapter, dividing it in half, taking the first half and charting the three uh, exhortations, and uh, that's how uh, the, uh, the outlines are then going to be formed. So we'll start with Make My Joy Complete, what we've been dealing with. Uh, reminded ourselves under point one that the suffering is for Christ's sake. And uh, that's the basis for the exhortation to start chapter 2. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that the suffering is not for you. The suffering is for Christ. It's for Christ's sake. And uh, how does it benefit Christ if we suffer? Well, because it's preparing his bride to be the mature bride that is worthy of the Father's Son. That's why it's for Christ's sake that we uh, aren't just a bunch of immature babies unprepared to handle things. Uh, What kind of bride is that? that uh, the father wouldn't give a bride like that to his son. The father is working in us so that an adult, mature, equipped, victorious, glorified bride would be suitable unto him, right? Remember that when, when Eve was brought to Adam, uh, a helpmate suitable to him, corresponding to him, okay? He got done naming all the animals. There was no helpmate corresponding to him. So think about that. The father is preparing a helpmate to correspond to the sinless, perfect, righteous, glorious, victorious Son of Man. How, how powerful is that? And that's what the bride is going to be. When the, when the rapture of the church sounds, when that trumpet sounds and we're raptured, that's where we're headed. So uh, don't ever lose sight of the fact that our suffering is for Christ's sake. And it will help you to observe the uh, comfort, consolation, fellowship, affection, and uh, compassion. Um, under point two in the subpoints is where we spent most of our time dealing with all of the ifs. There are four different ifs in uh, classical Greek. The fourth one's kind of disappeared by the time you get to Koine Greek, but there's still some functional equivalents of it. Um, first class, second class, third class conditions are the ones that we typically will study uh, in, uh, in our uh, applications. And all of these are first class. All of these are true. 
They're assumed to be true for the sake of argument. And in fact, in this context, they are all literally true in the application, that uh, all of these ifs are true. And so some uh, translators, some pastors, they would prefer to translate with the word since instead of if. Uh, I prefer uh, a word like assuming, assuming there is any consolation, all right? Or just leaving it as an if, but understanding as an if that everybody knows that, yes, this is absolutely true. The speaker knows it, the hearer knows it, everybody is in agreement that there is consolation of love. And since there is, if, you know, assuming that there is, and since there is, on that basis, we're going to make Paul's joy complete. So, Anyway, if you missed it, you can get the MP3s. They're just sitting there on the website doing nothing. You can go get them. Uh, you can be. You can add to the uh, the number of uh, MP3s we've downloaded this year. Um, quite a few. Okay, thought I had the number up here. I'll have the number tonight for uh, MP3s and PDFs that have gone around the world um, because they were just minding their own business on the website, and people from uh, 97 different countries went and got them. And, uh, and are being blessed by the Word of God. So first class conditions. The second class conditions are not true, but they're given for the sake of argument. Uh, that's a worthwhile study right there, and I'm glad we took the time to do that. Uh, thirdly are the third class conditions, and these maybe yes, maybe no, all right? This is truly a suspended question for the moment. It's not resolved at the time that the argument is being made, and so it's left in a, in a, in a tension it's left on in kind of a suspense moment, and that's why the subjunctive mood is used. It's the mood of potential, not the indicative mood. It's the mood of potential. So if we confess our sins, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we do, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so uh, it's very effective to communicate on that basis, leaving it suspended, leaving it open, leaving it just kind of hanging there and uh, allowing our volition to either on a positive basis, live out the Word of God, or on a negative basis, uh, receive the consequences for uh, what we're doing. And then ultimately there is, back in classical Greek era, there was uh, a fourth class condition with optative moods. Uh, The optative was largely replaced by the subjunctive by the time we get to the New Testament era. And so there aren't any true examples in the New Testament of a fourth class condition. However, um, there are some functional equivalents that Luke makes use of, and had uh, Luke and Acts and these other examples been written maybe about 400 years earlier, then they would have used the optative mood. They would have used the uh, the fourth class condition as they are expressed there. Anyway, that's that. We're going to move on now. We're going to assume these four things. So assuming these four things, assuming these four things, there is any encouragement in Christ. Let's just assume that, okay? And then you get reminded, oh yeah, there is. I'd forgotten, <laughs> right? Because when you're going through the testing, sometimes it just, we, we lose it. We lose our objectivity. We lose, everything becomes subje- subjective and we start to forget what we know. And so it's helpful when someone comes along and reminds you, well, isn't there any encouragement somewhere? Maybe uh, in Christ? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's where it is. Okay, forgot about that. And assuming there is consolation of love. Oh yeah, there is consolation. I forgot where that was. It's in love. That's where it is. Okay. And assuming there is fellowship of the Spirit. All of these are assumed to be the case. And finally, assuming that there is affection and compassion. And those, by the way, are not located in a noun the way that uh, the first three are if there's any affection and compassion. There are indeed twin attributes there that are put in a tandem like that. So assuming those four things, then comes the command, make my day, right? Or make my joy complete is what Paul's saying here. Because um, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a way of rebuking without coming right out and rebuking, okay? Um, it's a way of reminding them of things they, they probably shouldn't have needed to be reminded of, but he's reminding them of them anyway. And then when he says, make my joy complete, he's admitting, what's he admitting? That he's rejoicing, but it's not a completed rejoicing. Why is it not complete? Because he's by himself. He's the only one rejoicing. They're not yet rejoicing with him. 
All right? That's what's going to complete his joy. And and that's going to complete his joy when they get on board with his rejoicing and when they uh, fulfill uh, verse 2 here, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So they have to adjust their thinking. They have to adjust what they're doing. And when they do, then they're going to join in his rejoicing. And then his rejoicing won't be empty, won't be partial, won't be alone, won't be lonely, shall we call it, okay? And then uh, it will be complete in the sense that it will be joined to their rejoicing in, uh, in these things all coming together, all right? So am I going to get to this today? I may not get to this today. So in case I don't, okay, I'm not going to get to this today. I'll get to this in the next three weeks maybe. <laughs> we, we'll... Um, just just write these down. Make yourself a list, okay? Write down the four items in, uh, in verse 2, okay? Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, and then affection and compassion. And you've got four things there. And write those down like on the left side of a piece of paper. Put a line down the middle. And then on the right side of that piece of paper, write down the four things from verse 2. And you're going to spot something, Okay? Because uh, the first thing that says there is make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And that's the toughest one to see the parallel, but it's a parallel. In the second one, maintaining the same love. Oh, wait a minute. I had love on the second one there on the left side. It was consolation of love. And then the third one, united in spirit. Oh, wait a minute. My third one on the left was fellowship of the spirit. Ah, okay. And then my fourth one, intent on one purpose go back to my fourth one that's the affection and compassion okay and so it's interesting to see how these things he he gives them four ifs and then when he says make my joy complete he lines up four things that they got to do and in, in adjusting those four things it's the same four things he just got done telling them there is uh encouragement in christ okay so uh be of the same mind. That's the mind of Christ. Okay? So be of the same mind because there is encouragement in Christ. All right. Assuming these four things, we start with there is any, even the smallest amount, encouragement in Christ. Okay? There is any, even the smallest amount. You know, something else there are four in this verse besides the ifs. There's four ifs in this verse. There's also four innies, right? And you have this little particle, this little tease. Sometimes it's a T or it's a T-I-S T-I-S or T-I, okay? Depends if it's a masculine or a feminine or a neuter. But uh, this little particle tease means any, right? Or some, or even a little bit. He's not just asking if there is encouragement in Christ. He says, is there any encouragement in Christ? You understand the difference? The, the basic question, if you take the any out of there, you still have a valid sentence. You still have a valid uh, conditional clause. You could say, if therefore there is encouragement in Christ. Or if there is any encouragement in Christ. That's a different statement. That's profoundly different. Because when you say any, then that means that you are um, drilling down, almost like with a microscope, you're, you're drilling down to the smallest conceivable amount. Even if it's just a trace. Well, that's any, right? That's some. You see the difference? And he uses that all four times. Any encouragement, any consolation, any fellowship. Okay? And, and that also, I think, is a blessing for us. <laughs> because um, again, we're going through testing, we're getting maybe uh, a little discouraged, we're getting, and because of that discouragement, we're getting a little um, gloomy, okay? Pessimistic. Are you pessimistic in your carnality? I, uh, I've yet to meet a believer that got optimistic in his carnality, okay? Uh, and I think we all get pessimistic in our, in our carnality, and some more than others. I, I freely admit, I am the most pessimistic human being in this congregation. Okay, I, I, I know that's a fact. And uh, if somebody else, they may think that they're more pessimistic than me, but I doubt it. <laughs> All right, sorry. 
<clears throat> the idea of any. Any is useful. Any is useful. Because a lot of times we in our carnality will deny uh, that something's happening simply because the form that it takes is not good enough for us and we don't like it. Or, you know, so someone's the, somebody is encouraging us, but we think that it's, it's, it's not sufficient or it's, uh, it's not appreciated or we just don't like it or for whatever sense. And so here comes this encouragement and we reject it. And we reject it, and in so doing, we still convince ourselves that there hasn't been any. No one has encouraged me. Well, what about so-and-so? Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> okay? And, and this text doesn't let us get away with that. Because Paul uses any. And he uses any four different times. And so if there is the smallest amount of encouragement, that counts. <laughs> and Paul says, all right, see? There is. Is there any encouragement? What about this little bit right over here? Since there is, well then, make my joy complete. Yeah, get on board with the rejoicing. So, if there is any, even the smallest amount, encouragement in Christ. And so, what we have here is is paraclesis and Christo. And uh, we've studied paraclesis before, uh, repeatedly. I want to say there was a stretch where we did, I think, four paraclesis studies uh, within you know a six month stretch, uh, particularly in Second Corinthians, because there's a huge element of it there in chapter one. Okay. Also, when we study spiritual gifts, there is a, a parakaleo spiritual gift that is the comforter, the encourager. We've got comforters in this church. We've got comforters in this room. All right. And so right here, right now, we've got paracletes by gift, and that's uh, that's a blessing. And so we've done this study before, uh, paraklesis. I guess the accents on the second A, so it'd be paraclesis. Um, the Strong's number is number 3874. There are 29 uses of it. Uh, beyond uh, the noun of paraclesis, of course, is the verb parakaleo, right? Which I didn't put on the screen, but that's a different verb. It's a different Strong's number. And you really, you want to look at both the verb parakaleo and the noun, paraclesis, and uh, any other cognate forms that, that you may come across in the New Testament to understand this. All right, um, and it's sometimes it's translated comfort, and in context will tell you if comfort is an appropriate thought, or sometimes it's exhortation. In which case, it's more of a, of a command type of thing, less comforting but still exhortative and still paraclesis, same Greek word. And then sometimes it's encouragement, and it's really it's, it's like a tripod, it's like a, a three-legged stool, and you can't chop off any of those legs because parakaleo includes all three legs. And so, comfort, exhortation, encouragement. And uh, if you want the, 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 the etymology on it, by the way, kaleo is your verb to call, and para is alongside. So you're calling alongside. And I like that visual imagery. It's not prohistemi, it's not stand in front, right? The pastor teacher stands in front, I'm standing in front. Uh, and, 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 and the word of God is coming to you this morning. Para kaleo is call alongside. And so a, a parakaleo gift, this, this is a, a, an encourager, and he comes alongside. He walks up beside you. He puts his hand on your shoulder. He comes alongside, okay? He's not standing in, in a pulpit preaching at you. He's standing at your side with his hand on your shoulder. And in some cases, he might be comforting you. Some cases, he might be encouraging you. Some cases, he might be exhorting you. Like, hey, knock it off. <laughs> All right? Get your eyes where they're supposed to be you know, end the pity party now. Your, your guests aren't arriving anyway. <laughs> that kind of thing. And you can do that, and you should do that, by the way. One-on-one, a quiet word, a word of comfort, a word of exhortation, a word of uh, encouragement. And that's the nature of the paraclesis ministry. And the best places to find it, by the way, are Second Corinthians. So let's remind ourselves here. Second Corinthians chapter 1. <coughs> where you have verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and those are all the nouns, by the way. You've got additional uses of the verb, parakaleo. I did not put on the screen, but we can spotlight them when we read through the, uh, the verses here. All right, 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> verse 3 says, Blessed be 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, a, it's a hymn of praise to God the Father. It's a patrological hymn of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Now that's a different term. We have eleao for the verb and eleos for the Greek, or for the noun. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all paraklesis, the God of all comfort. All right, so right off the bat, what's the source of comfort? <laughs> God the Father, right? It's coming from God, the God of all comfort. And here's what he does, see, who comforts us. That's the verb. Well, that makes sense. If he is the God of all comfort, I'm glad that he's involved in the, the verb activity here. He comforts. That's what he does. He comforts us in all our affliction. Why? Purpose clause. So that we will be able to comfort. Same verb, parakaleo. We will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And how do we do that? With the paraklesis with which we ourselves are parakleoed by God. And so we see how God works the, the body of Christ together, why the Father does this, okay? And that's where this comfort comes from. This comfort comes from your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you want to be Joe Hermit Christian living in a cave, uh, what, are you, what are you forsaking? Yeah, this kind of comfort's not coming to you until you get with brothers and sisters, until you get with the body of Christ. And specifically, you've got to be with a brother or a sister that has been comforted by God already previously to this. Now they're equipped to come alongside you. And, and ultimately, this is what we've got to come to, okay? This is not, God's comfort does not, uh, it's not a, a, an essence or a glow. It's not an emanation. It's not a, you know, a light that shines down from heaven, Okay? The clouds part and this sunbeam ray comes down and it shines upon you and you just feel comforted, okay? Not how it works. It's a brother or a sister that comes alongside, puts his arm on your shoulder and has doctrine, something from the Word of God, something, a passage of truth, a promise, a principle, a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, a prayer, something that's coming from the Word of God. Okay? But it's coming from the Word of God and it's filtered through the experience and the soul and the ministry and the gift. It's being filtered through that brother or sister as they are expressing what they received, now passing it on to you. And you're going to do it in your, in your turn. Because once this test is done, now that same comfort is going to filter through you because you're going to come alongside somebody else. Okay? You're going to come alongside somebody else. You've got a ministry in front of you once you're victorious in this ministry. So that's verse uh, 4. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our paraclesis is abundant through Christ. And there's a proportion there. It's like, an, it's like a, a mathematical equation. You've got an equal sign. And so if, if one side of that equation is being increased, what do you got to do the other side of the in- equation? It's proportionate. You've got to increase it. That's right. And so it's, it's not, a, uh, it's not a, uh, uh, a bad thing when the afflictions are being multiplied. We, we want to grumble about it. We want to say, not another one. No, enough, God. Stop. Okay. It's not a bad thing if the afflictions are being multiplied because guess what else is getting multiplied over here? The comfort. God's got a plan for that. See? And so uh, that's why in James it says, count it all joy when you, what does it say? When you encounter one test at a time? Okay? What kind of a baby Christian gets one test at a time? Somebody just saved 10 minutes ago? Okay? I mean, if you've been saved any length of time, you're going to get various trials, it says. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Try 10 things at once, 20 things at once, right? If you really want to get on board, then uh, join a prayer meeting and start praying with the flock, and you've got dozens or hundreds of things that are going on right now. It all belongs to you. All right. So just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So when the sufferings get ramped up, just look for it. Say, all right, Father, you're the God of all comfort. Hit me. <laughs> Hit me with it. And uh, 
And, and, and I think it's a good reminder, too, that times like this, I want to be before the throne of grace and I want to be with my church family. I want to be with my brothers and sisters. The last thing I want to do, my carnality wants to crawl into a hole and just disappear and not see anybody, but that's like the worst thing possible. Okay? I've got to be with my church family. And that's why it's there. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, remember which if this was? I got a spotlight of that the other day, I don't remember. Um, first class. All right. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. You know, the, the afflictions are for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the members of, of, of Christ's body. It is for your comfort and your salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective, that is, it is working in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And so we get to go through this together. And we get to experience it together. We get to rejoice together. We're not just by ourselves praying for something and then by ourselves when we are celebrating, when the, when the answer comes. You know, God wants to hear a chorus of hymns, a chorus of voices that are praising Him for the answer to prayer, not just one soloist, not just one lonely voice, but a whole blend of voices giving the praise for the answered prayer. And, uh, and, and, and the, uh, the recognition that answers to prayer are coming every single day. Answers to prayer all the time. And that's why, again, it's advantageous to be in prayer meeting and be involved in other people's prayers. Because if you're just all by your lonesome and all just kind of selfishly doing whatever, and then you start to think, oh, well, I don't see answers very often. Well, I see answers every day. They're not always my answers, but they're my brother's answers, they're my sister's answers, they're other people's answers. And I get encouraged when they get their prayers answered. So we get answers to prayer all day, every day. All right, works that way as well. Verse 7 then, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers, and this is the fellowship, the koinonia, sharers of our sufferings, so also of our paraklesis. There is fellowship in suffering, right? The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformable unto his death. There is fellowship in his sufferings. Now, an unbeliever doesn't get this. An unbeliever can come alongside and they can commiserate. An unbeliever can come alongside and they can offer what they call a consolation, but it's not a consolation of agape. The unbeliever has no agape. And it's not koinonia fellowship. Because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, and the unbeliever has no capacity to do that. All right, so those are the uses there in chapter 1. Now, the application comes in chapter 7, because in between chapter 1 and chapter 7, Paul was getting more and more depressed. He, um, he would write a chapter, and he was kind of wait, waiting. He wanted to see Titus again. And no Titus. So then he wrote another chapter. He's waiting for Titus. And he writes another chapter. Still no Titus. And by the time he gets halfway through 2 Corinthians, Paul is uh, not in a good place. And, uh, you know, do you ever do something that you regret later and you think, ah, it's all my fault, right? He sends Titus off to Corinth and, and now Paul is pretty suspicious that, that they killed him. <laughs> I'm not joking. That, that, that you know, Timothy had reason to be fearful going in there and Titus went in there and now Titus has turned up missing. Where is he? And uh, it's not until uh, he's finally reunited with Titus that uh, he has this kind of comfort. He has this kind of encouragement. So um, as you read here in verse 5, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 the word uh, paraklesis shows up in verse 4, verse 7, and verse 13. And there is a, uh, a large context that goes with this. Not only here, but also uh, Luke gives the narrative for this. Let me find that for you also. We taught this in the uh, prelude to Philippians, in, uh, if you might recall. The... Uh, the fact that he had no rest and he was anxious to be reunited with uh, Titus. And, and um, so Acts 19 and you get the um, departure from Ephesus and you get the um, really the eagerness to, um, to be reunited with Titus. Verse 
So Acts, the end of Acts 19 and the first part of Acts chapter 20 is where you're going to find that there. All right. So uh, second, uh, second Corinthians 7 verse 4. Uh, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with paraclesis. I am overflowing with kara, with joy in all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. All right? Remember uh, the last time you did this? <laughs> I remember the last time I did this. We all do. Everybody does this. You know, you're carnally minded and you got problems and you think, well, if I just move, okay? If I go here, a, a different geography will take away all my problems. <laughs> no, it's going to give you new problems because you still brought the ones with you that you were running away from. And even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't that beautiful? Okay? And, uh, you know, don't think that it's, uh, you know... um, See, I used to think that uh, if you just had enough doctrine, you would never have any problems. Okay, you'd always be emotionally stable. You would never have any kind of fear. You'd never have any kind of worry. Believers, older believers with doctrine, they were just had, never had, I mean, they passed every test automatically. Um, no, it's not like that, okay? The older you get in the Lord, the more accountable you become. God the Father lowers your hedge a whole lot lower than, than it used to be back when, you know, you were a bit of a baby or a knucklehead. You know, and there's, there's just a lot of mercy when you're young and a lot more accountability, and Paul is going through it here. He's depressed. He admits to being depressed. By the way, somebody told me once that the Bible does not address mental illness. I said, oh, really? <laughs> this verse says God comforts the depressed. How about that? All right. And, uh, and, and uh, Paul was not prescribed any psychotropic medications. He wasn't... Uh, paying $120 a billable hour to uh, not occupy with Christ, okay? In any event. Comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) That's what we were reading in chapter one. Titus had received comfort, and then he went and he extended it to Paul. So the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Yeah, they didn't kill him. He delivers the, I think he was the courier for the for 1 Corinthians. And then he was the courier for the painful letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Okay? And that painful letter is the one Paul, we don't have it in our Bible, but that painful letter is the one that Paul thought got Titus killed. Instead, it sparked their repentance. It made them sorrowful to the point of repentance. And so they repented, they comforted Titus, and the reason why he stayed so long was because he was letting that comfort work. He was getting, you know, a double dose, he can take some of it back to Paul. (laughs) All right. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is uh, the one in between First and Second Corinthians. I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. And, uh, oh, there's so much doctrine here. Verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, okay? That wasn't the fun part. That wasn't, Paul's not a, some kind of a sadist and he doesn't enjoy inflicting pain. Not that, that had to happen. But what came out of that? You were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Look at that. That's another discussion I had a couple of years back. Somebody said, it's never the will of God for you to be suffering. It's never the will of God for you to be sorrowful. Really? Well, here's a verse that says, sorrowful according to the will of God. So I don't know what Bible you're reading or what kind of Christianity you think you're a part of, we're going to be sorry for a lot of stuff as He works in us. The Jews are going to be sorry for a thousand years. 
The millennium is the time of Jewish sorrow. Anyway, I'm prepping that for Houston in March. Um, sorrowful to the point of repentance. Verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God, there it is again, produces a repentance without regret. A repentance without regret. So think about that. Because if there's some some kind of a phony repentance, if there's some kind of a a sorrow that's just guilt, legalism, human manipulation, uh, some kind of a shrink tells you to turn over a new leaf and so you get kind of a flash in the pan, kind of a, a repentance for a little bit, well, guess what? How long does that last? But the sorrow, according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret. See? And so you're not this human yo-yo that's up and down, up and down, in and out of fellowship, uh, you know, rescued from the sin problem and then right back into it the next week again. When God gets a hold of you and you get that permanent lifelong repentance and you walk away from that darkness for the last time ever, okay? And that's why, you know, if, if you're praying for a family member or a friend that's kind of right there right now, it's useful to, I mean, we, we'd rather have them repentant today, sooner rather than later. Yesterday would have been good. But if it's not going to be a lifelong, permanent repentance without regret kind of thing, then I don't want it to happen today. He's not miserable enough yet. He needs to get more miserable, whatever it is. And it's got to be a true biblical conviction. It can't be some phony artificial thing. Can't be human viewpoint that kind of gets them on a human rescue basis. And so, uh, if that's not yet today, then maybe tomorrow. What, however long it needs to be, God knows. God knows. So, uh, repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You want some cosmos sorrow? No. That's the way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Anyway, it goes all the way down to verse uh, 13. Verse 11 says, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. This is a flock that's going to be on fire for the rest of their life because God gave them the victory to get through this. In everything you demonstrate yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. They had to be aware of what God was doing in all this. And for this reason, we have been comforted. Besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. All right, so there we have it. This is the comfort or the encouragement. Translate it either way or just leave it untranslated. Just call it paraklesis, okay? It's comfort, encouragement, and uh, exhortation. Paraklesis. If there is any in Christ, of course there is. (laughs) Your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's that's exactly where it's going to be found. Any other source doesn't have God's paraklesis, okay? Secondly, if there is any consolation. Now it's closely related to comfort, it's consolation, but it is a different word. Sometimes it's translated comfort, and that doesn't help. Uh, when it's placed in tandem with paraclesis, then typically paraclesis gets rendered as comfort and, um, and paramuthion gets translated as consolation. There aren't really that many uses. There's only one of paramuthion, the neuter noun, like we have here. There's one of the feminine noun, paramuthia, that's in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. And then there's four uses of the verb. So it's not as common as, as we have with uh, paraclesis, right? What was paraclesis, 29 times? Yeah, 29 times. Um, paramuthion, just once. This, uh, this term that we have here in Philippians 2, 1, is the only place in the New Testament that has it. That's the neuter noun, paramuthion. The feminine noun shows up in uh, 3889. And what's the difference? I honestly don't see one. <laughs> I think they're, they're largely interchangeable. Okay? Um, in some cases, so see, this is what you get with koine. With koine, you get this blend. 
You get a blend of Ionic and Doric and, and, and different kinds of Greek. And so it may be, and I don't know offhand, maybe, in, just for example, maybe the Ionic dialect uh, made use of the, of the neuter, made use of the, the Parmuthion. But, and then maybe the Doric dialect made use of the, of the feminine, made use of the uh, Paramuthia. Okay? And so a slight dialect difference between the different kinds of Greek that, that were there before Alexander the Great. And so when they all got mashed together in the, in the Koine, in the common Greek, uh, you know, this was what Alexander's time frame, when they all got mashed together then, you know, push comes to shove and, and what were they left with? <laughs> were they going to say, okay guys, let's all agree we're going to use the neuter form from now on? Or, hey, let's agree we're all going to use the feminine form from now on. Or were they kind of loose with it and they were fine either way? You know, use whichever one you want. Use the masculine, use the feminine, use the neuter. Uh, things like that were very common in, uh, in the Koine uh, stage of the Greek language. So, uh, consolation. <clears throat> let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3. We'll get a sense. So this is the, the feminine noun. All right, Um, in talking about the charismatic gifts in the early church, particularly uh, of interest to the Corinthians as they were abusing these things, um, he says, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man but to God. No one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So there's our term, okay? And by the way, that's paraklesis in front of uh, paramuthia there. And then uh, edification for the building up of the saints. And so that's what we do. We want every message to build up, to edify. We want every message to exhort or to comfort or encourage. And we want every message to be a consolation. To be a consolation, and so that's our use there. Do I see a difference between this consolation and the Philippians 2.1 consolation? Not really. I think they're functionally equivalent, synonymous expressions. Okay? And there is consolation of love. That's what love does. So it's a paramuthion agape. It's a, it's a uh, consolation of agape is what that is. Uh, and then now the verb. Four times for the verb, and this, this will be useful. John 11 uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5. So here's the verb. Here's the activity taking place. And uh, what happens in John 11? What do you think John 11 was the first thing you think of? Jesus wept? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the funeral, right? Lazarus died. Mary and Martha are boo-hooing. The whole town's boo-hooing. There's a lot of um, weeping and sadness. All right. <clears throat> Verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So here's our verb. The verb is paramutheamai. Uh, the verb is number 3888 in the strongest index numbering. Um, Paramuthion is 38.90. The feminine paramuthia is 38.89. The reason why James just James Strong's just alphabetized all the words and started numbering them. So that's why alphabetically paramuthiamai comes before paramuthia or paramuthion. So uh, they came together to console them. Okay, and we get this. You know, we've had two funerals since Thursday. We've got more coming up seems like. And uh, this is what happens. A loved one dies. And so what do you do? Well, you want to console. My condolences, right? You want to console. You want to, you want to say something. You want to do something. You want to, you know, in some cases just being there says a lot. And, uh, and so they see you and that means a lot to them that, you know, you took the time to come and be there. Or you have words to say. And sometimes you don't know what to say. What can you say? right? 
Now, when you have divine viewpoint and the Word of God is working through you, then you can let God do the work and it becomes a powerful thing. What these guys were doing, I don't have any clue. (laughs) Because these guys were hopeless. This crowd was kind of like Job's accusers that showed up. They just made matters worse. They weren't helping anything by being there. Everything they said was backwards and wrong. All right. And so you can imagine, you know, who knows what these guys were saying. Probably all the wrong things at the wrong time. And then the Lord shows up. And, um, and, uh, and then it's his fault. <laughs> Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay? Second class condition? He wasn't here. But if he had been here, then he would have kept Lazarus from dying. Or so she thinks. Okay? I don't think that would happen because the son never disobeys the father. The father wanted Lazarus to die. But she's convinced that it's his fault because he got there too late. And, uh, and that. Anyway, I don't want to get lost in this. There's, there's more. This is, um, this is useful. I use this when I preach a funeral. Um, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, is that comforting? You know? Your brother's a believer. He has eternal life. He will be resurrected. Okay? Now, that is comforting, except if you're really negative or carnal or depressed or whatever. Like, well, yeah, someday. Help me. You know, how does that help me today? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. All right. Well, so, okay, great. Fine. Someday. How does that help me now? All right, well, there's uh, more there. Pay attention to that too, by the way. We talk, what was the doctrine of resurrection in uh, Jesus' day? That's, that was it. Resurrection on the last day. No idea that the resurrection of life and the resurrection of death were a thousand years apart. All they knew from Daniel was that resurrection day had a resurrection of life, a resurrection of judgment, but they expected it was all on the last day. They had no concept for what we know today with the millennium and the fullness of time and, and all of that. All right. But on the last day. Uh, the last use is in this chapter down in verse 31. <clears throat> so uh, she goes and she gets Mary. She says, hey, the teacher is here. So Mary hurries up. And uh, the Jews in verse 31 who were with her in the house and consoling her uh, when they saw that she got up quickly and went out, <laughs> you know, imagine how insulting that is. You know, you're, you're there, you're trying to encourage, and she just bails. Like, I guess we're not doing much. Um, so they followed her out, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Instead, she falls at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, uh, and on to the rest. Anyway, we're familiar with that. I, I use this a lot. I use this because of the pointed, I am the resurrection and the life message. Uh, this, uh, he will live even if he dies. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus is so pointed when he, when he lays it out there and says, do you believe this? And I like to, to preach that when I'm doing a funeral. Do you believe this? Anyway, and then of course, Lazarus come forth. He brings Lazarus back. That's why he was weeping, okay? Nothing that sad has ever happened in a funeral I've done. <laughs> okay, how sad would it be to bring Nan Carnegie back to this earth? No, the, f- the funeral, I mean, the, the memorial service last Thursday was full of joy and rejoicing and we're thankful that Nan was not returned to this earth and she's face to face with Jesus Christ and uh, we're thankful for that. All right, how about uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.11? First Thessalonians 2, Paul used a lot of triplets in this book and he talks about uh, how when he came he didn't uh, come with flattering speech uh, or seeking glory from man or uh, asserting authority. He says, but we, in verse 7, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. 
having so fond an affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. In other words, not just delivering content, not just speaking information. You can get content from a tape recorder. You can get content from a website, from an MP3 file. You can get information and content that way. But what about the life of the one that's ministering? What about the the tenderness? What about the nursing mother? For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you. And uh, when we get to verse 11, we have our word. As you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And so we have um, parakaleo, and we have paramuthaemai, and we have a third verb all combined in this. Exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And see, and this is, this is why it's personal. This is why it's tender. This is why it works this way. It's not just dry academic information that a stranger can give, and it doesn't bug him at all if you take it or leave it, if you uh, believe it, if you learn it, if you use it. No skin off his nose. He's just a hireling anyway. He, gets, he, he was paid to get the information out there. He got the information out there. He's done. But a parent, a pastor, a shepherd that not only is giving information but is also imparting his life, is begging, imploring, it matters whether you're living it or not. It hurts when you're not living it. It's heartbreaking when, when a believer who should know better is doing dumb stuff that they were taught not to do. And it just grieves the shepherd who's praying all the more as this stuff happens. Okay, Same thing with parents and their adult kids that have left home and they're off doing it. And, you know, ah. and so you pray and you pray and you pray because it hurts. And so that's what you get. And uh, exhorting, encouraging, imploring. Each one of you as a father would his own children. So he started off as a nursing mother in verse 7. And by the time he's done, he's, a, he's an imploring father in verse 11. That's, that's a way to really mix your metaphor there, Paul, by the, from the opening of the paragraph to the closing of the paragraph. But it gets the point across. And that's, uh, that's what we do. Finally, uh, chapter 5 and verse 14. you got the pastoral appreciation verses in 12 and 13 and then we urge you brethren admonish the unruly encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with everyone and so here we've got um this is where it's rendered encourage but it's not parakaleo it's paramuthaamai the faint-hearted, and then help the weak, and then be patient with everyone. And uh, admonish, to put it on their head, to put it on their mind. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And that's, uh, that's what the ministry is all about. And, uh, you know, that's why I think it takes a lot of discernment, and a lot of prayer, and a lot of uh, help from God, because, you know, you want to do this, and, and what if you misdiagnose something? What if you're looking at a brother and, and you think he's unruly, so you're all ready to admonish him, but it turns out he's not really unruly, he's just faint-hearted. He doesn't need you to be admonishing him, he needs you to be encouraging him. Or he's just weak, okay? He doesn't need admonishment, he's, he, needs, he needs help. Or maybe we're not sure what he is. Well, then patience for everybody. <laughs> it says be patient with everyone, Okay? Maybe you just dish up all three and say, all right, take the one you need. <laughs> I'll give you some admonishment, some encouragement, some help patiently. And it's God that's at work anyway, so let him work. So if there is any, even the smallest amount of consolation, consolation, okay? So the encouragement and consolation, they're closely related. They're not pure synonyms. You can be encouraged and not consoled. You can also be consoled and not encouraged. We get both, and they both come to us from the body of Christ as we speak to one another in love. It's a, it's a glorious thing. All right, that's two of them. There's two more to go, but we have to save those for Wednesday night. Father, thank you for your faithfulness.
Thank you for this study. Open our eyes to see these things. Not only how they're presented biblically, but how they are presented uh, through application, through experience. We see it here, Father. You've been doing this for ages now at Austin Bible Church, and we've seen it. We've seen it again. We've seen it again. Uh, We saw it last Thursday. We keep seeing it, Father. And I thank you for that. We're going to keep on seeing it because we have brothers and sisters that are humble before you, studying to show themselves as workmen. They want to learn these things and live them out. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to recharge for about 30 minutes.